As they said in the film, Back to the Future, where we're going, we don't need roads. and welcome to Back to the Future, the podcast, the only podcast looking back in time at the greatest film trilogy of all time, Back to the Future. I am your friend in time, Brad Gilmore, and today we have a very special, special show. Uh, part one of my conversation with Scott Corelli and Nick Jimenez of Back to the Future Minute. Back to the Future Minute, for those of you who might not know, they just wrapped up their series, but they broke down each Back to the Future film one minute at a time. One minute at a time. I mean, imagine. It was a daily show, five shows a week, you know, you know, extra shows on the weekend, just an insane amount of Back to the Future coverage, and these guys were dedicated, man. I appeared on one of the episodes, like, kind of. My internet connection was real wonky, but um, former co-host Norman Binford held it down uh, for Back to the Future, the podcast. And uh, it was it was a cool experience to even you know attempt that. But this is part one. We talk about not just their podcast. Um, we talk about a lot of things. We talk about some theories from the movies that I've never discussed with anybody else. And we have some really interesting conversations. So and discussions. So check it out. This is part one of my conversation with the guys from Back to the Future Minute, Scott Corelli and Nick Jimenez. Enjoy. Scott and Nick join me right now. Guys, how are y'all doing? Good, Brad. How are you? Hey, I'm doing great. Nick, how's everything over there in La La Land? Uh, doing very well. Thanks so much for having us. Hey, no, I'm excited to talk to y'all. You know, um, Back to the Future Minute, y'all just finished your final episodes here just last week or, or the week before. You went, to, um, you went to the Shy. You went to Chicago to record your final show. Isn't that right? Yes. How was that? Yeah. How was that? I'm, I'm getting ready to do my first live podcast here in a couple weeks. So I want to know, how, how was it? Was it everything you hoped it would be? I, I loved the experience. I thought it was really fun. I've never done anything like that before. Um, Nick has done kind of similar stuff uh, to that. Uh, yeah, I, I, I guess that's true. You're, you have a little bit less uh, like public speaking, I guess, or like audience work, I guess. Right? Is, that, is that fair to say? Yeah, I mean, I guess, yeah. Well, because I've done, I've done like plays and stuff, but not you as have, many. You have, yeah. You've been. Not, uh, I've always loved telling people this. You, you, you've been the lead in a play before recently. Not even like in high school. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but I, I, I've never, um, I've never done like one of our podcasts live. But you've done that. Uh, that sort of. Uh, I forget what it's called, uh, but that mystery science theater kind of thing that you do in LA occasionally. Um, what do you? What is that, Nick? Uh, say it one more time. The, the mystery science theater thing that you do. Oh yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's called, uh, so I'm a part of something called wonder crust, uh, which is, it started actually in, in Texas, like, like Arlington, Fort Worth. 
And uh, it's it's basically Mystery Science Theater 3000, but we edit. I say we like I do it, but uh, they're like there are there are edited jokes and bits edited into the footage. It kind of like um, is meant to recapture that feeling of like channel surfing, which I guess we, it's kind of a lost art. I never I didn't really think about it, but we kind of the way the way like Beavis and Butthead channel surfed is kind of an extinct pastime, I think. Yeah. Um, so like something will remind us of something from like Wayne's world and we'll edit in a clip from Wayne's world. And yeah, so we, we've done it like three or four times in LA and that's always really fun. Cause yeah, I, I you performing is fun. Performing in front of a crowd is, is cool. And when that crowd is mostly made up of people who already know the show and know you, it's like, it's that much more of a blast. Yeah, absolutely. No, I can only imagine. I only imagine it's a rush. You know, I've done live performance, but never a, a live podcast. So I'm looking forward to it. But y'all broke down Back to the Future, the ride. And and I, I have so many questions to get to y'all about it and so much Back to the Future to talk. But let's start there. Back to the Future, the ride. I never got to ride it. Uh, I believe it was Scott. It was your story when you were there with a the kid and you were you were too scared to get on the ride initially. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, that was that was me. Uh, my my dad was very upset because he was very excited to ride the ride, um, and he actually went, ended up riding it without me. And then and then that's how I was introduced to the Back to the Future trilogy. Was after that he was like, "Look, it's not scary. Look at this dork like that gets blown back by because he turns the speaker on too loud. It's not a scary ride." <laughs> um, so, so yeah, it, it was, it was, uh, you know, but as like a six or seven year old, uh, the prospect of being eaten by a dinosaur and spit back out was, uh, uh, a terrifying one to say the least. It's a lot to ask of a kid, I think. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know what? I mean, the concept, yeah, it might be a little much for a seven year old to, to digest, but you know, I, I've always heard people and, you know, I had Stephen Clark on this podcast who runs back to the future.com. A lot of people though, regard the ride as the fourth film almost like the continuation of, of mm-hmm. the series. Is that where y'all both kind of stand? Because i am be honest with you. It, it kind of more feels like, I don't know, like, you know, that animation, the animated series is just kind of suspended in its own reality. Almost. It is a continuation, but it's kind of not, where do you kind of feel us? Uh, you know, Scott, where do you feel? Do you think that it's a, a, a fourth film? Um, uh, not a fourth film per se, but I do I do consider it as goofy as it is. I consider it part of continuity just because it's the first Back to the Future thing that I was exposed to. So it feels important in my fan brain, even if it's technically not even remotely important. Um, yeah, uh, and and you, you know, it's well. Finish your thought, and I'll, I'll go. No, no, no. That was it. Go ahead. Well, I just, you know, I'm, I'm thinking it's so you are such a, you know, because of the podcast, you know, Back to the Future Minute and you were seen as an authority on Back to the Future, if nothing else, after all of this friggin' weird stuff that we've been doing. <laughs> but what I think is so great about what the point is, there's no, there, no, there's no wrong way to enter a fandom. There's, there's no incorrect way to get interested in something. I mean, uh, I'm sure there are some purists that would, that are like, Oh, you know, you watched the ride before part one. Doesn't that, you know, cause like, isn't that what parents do? They get so like, Oh, but he has to see it this way. And that's how I did it. And if it's the wrong way, it won't be, he won't love it. Like I did. I mean, that seems like a, 
a geek dad problem. Is that, is that fair to say? Yeah, I think so. Sure. And so, you know, there, there are probably like kids now that are going to go on the Guardians ride before seeing any of the Guardians movies. And like, that's okay too, you know? Yeah, that's true. Or, or sure. kids going into Star Wars land and never, you know, seen any of the, you know, episode four. Right. Yeah, yeah. Or like, like there's a kid out there who just has seen Attack of the Clones first. And that's like the first Star Wars movie he ever saw. Yeah. Well, that, I, I feel bad for that child. That's an awful yeah. way to start everything out. But, you know, I mean, yeah. I, I, I've watched the ride footage. I never got to ride the ride. But, you know, I think it was included in one of the, you know, Back to the Future Blu-ray releases, like the 30th anniversary, the 25th anniversary, one of those. And, I mean, it's cool. And I've seen clips on YouTube of people riding the ride or whatnot. But I just, I don't think that it's, it, it's not for me. It doesn't feel like it's a part of, I know it's the same universe, but it doesn't feel like it. I guess, you know, when they go back to the, to the Jurassic Park, you know, or Jurassic part of the ride, I should say. That's where I feel yeah. like it just kind of gets out there for <laughs> me. Yeah, no, and I, I, I agree with that. I think I said as much in, uh, in, in our final episode that, you know, the going to the 2015 is fun and exploring that and chasing Biff through that. But when you go to the ice age and the Cretaceous period, it's, it's, it's just, it's not, that's not back to the future. So it feels weird. But like, I also understand that, they spent so much money making that 2015 miniature that I think they were trying to save money by making ice blocks and lava blocks and just, <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah, no. And then this happens, it's fine. And there's a dinosaur, like whatever. Um, you know, cause I mean, really the science doesn't even check out. Like, how do you go to the, to BC using the, the DeLorean, uh, time circuits? Like that doesn't, there, there's no BC settings. So like, how do you even go back that far? Um, so I, I don't know, uh, but it's I, I just I, I like it. And, and I will say that watching the footage on its own is a much different experience than being there. Um, it I, I don't really even know how to describe what it's like, what it was like to ride that ride, because I I probably rode the ride um at least a dozen times. Cause I think every time after that first time I would write it at least twice every time I went to universal. And like I, I, like I told you off mic before I lived in Florida for a while. So I went to universal a lot. Um, and, uh, so I, I ended up writing that ride probably about a dozen times all told. And, uh, it was just, it, the whole experience is just really fun. Like it's, it's one thing to watch that stuff online, but to actually like be there and experience it is, is very different. Uh, but I would never get upset with anyone who would say like, I don't think that's part of Canon. I, I can't argue that like that's, yeah, that's, that's fine. I, you know, it's, it's a ridiculous thing, this ride. Uh, and, and <laughs> it's, and it's not, it's not made by, you know, either Bobby Z or Bobby G like they have nothing to do with it. Like they wrote it when it was done. Like that's, that's all they did. So um, you know, it, it is what it is and I, I accept it and I, and I love it. Uh, but I came into the franchise through it. So I probably have a more fond sort of nostalgic feeling for it than a lot of people do. You know, I, I 100% understand that because the first Bond movie I ever saw was Die Another Day. And by all accounts, uh, it's one of the worst ones ever, but I have like yeah. a special fondness for it in my heart. You know what I've always wondered, though, is, is you touched on it for a second there, Scott, and Nick, I want you to weigh in on this, and this doesn't really have to do with Back to the Future, but you talked about how they spent a lot of money on that 2015 miniature. 
I, you know, I'm a, I, I would like to say an, an, sort of an amateur uh, theme park en- enthusiast. I love Disney. I'm more of a Disney guy. But what I've always wanted to know is how do they figure out how much money to allocate to a certain ride? Like how much money can they spend on it? Like I understand it from a movie perspective. Let's spend $100 million on this movie. We, you know, project we're going to get $350 million. But I've never understood the model. And I don't know if either one of y'all know, but what is the model for allocating you know, money to a ride and you know, how, how do they is, figure out they're going to get that money back? Uh, it is the amount of people that the ride can churn out per hour. So the more people it can churn out, the more expensive the ride can be. Oh, really? So that's how they figure it out. Mm-hmm. And back mm-hmm. to the future. I think y'all mentioned that. So back to the future does how many, how many people per, you know, the back to the future ride did how many people per hour? Uh, 1300 I think 1300 an hour holy hell that's a pretty efficient ride yeah yeah it was pretty efficient I think it had a huge budget but I think they blew most of it on that 2015 (laughs) section because that miniature was intricate yeah it also ends very abruptly I mean toxic all right and we're done get out of here go 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 and you've been yo you stop it I'm great you're my best friend forever and then like it ends and I remember being (laughs) I'd be like, oh, okay. <laughs> well, you know, to me, that's like the that's like the hang up about most theme park rides. I feel like when they end, it's like immediate. There's no like, you know, it's even like in a water in a water slide. It's fun, and then there's an abrupt ending, and that's it. Right. You've waited for an there's, hour for an abrupt ending. Right. There's no third act to uh, <laughs> no. Park rides. That's not a thing. <laughs> None at all. It's not a thing. So, um, off the ride, let's go back to the beginning, and I, and I guess Nick, this would be my question for you: Is where did this Back to the Future Minute idea come from. Now, I've heard of the, the Star Wars Minute and all those Minute podcasts, but why Back to the Future, and why were you and Scott the right ones to do it? I was walking out of... I was seeing 2001 A Space Odyssey at the Music Box. So I was in a pretty good mood already. And um, and as, as, as I was turning my phone back on, I got some texts from Scott and they were pretty direct. It was just like, Hey, I, I had, I had been aware of star Wars minute through Scott. He, he had been talking about it since like, I want to say like 2012 was when you first started listening whatever it started was when you first started listening to it, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was like, Hey, I want to do that. But back to the future, I got the blessing from the star Wars Minute guys. So we're not going to be like ripping them off in a bad way. Uh, you know, not in an underhanded way. And, Honestly, I, I, it sounds hella cheesy, but I, I, I don't know. Scott and I are both super. Uh, we 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 love chewing on an idea. We love throwing it back and forth. And uh, a negative side of that is sometimes, uh, sometimes a project won't go move forward for a while. But I just really trusted how direct he was, and he was like. We can do this. We can do this. I can already start the. I can get the Twitter profile and all. And he was just already so down that I was like, I don't I have no idea what this is or even why this would work. But I just trust his conviction. <laughs> <laughs> Does that sound about right and, to you, Scott? Uh, I mean, yeah, it was. It was a thing where um, you know, Back to the Future has been my favorite movie of all time for as long as I can remember. And there was no, there was no other option. I mean, we, 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 there were lots of options for what we would do after back to the future, 
if we if we wanted to do another one afterward. But to me, first and foremost was I want to do Back to the Future, basically because I didn't want anyone else to do it. Um, yeah. I, I, I like I, I was like, no, 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 no. Like, I, I, I want to do it. Like, I, I have all of these talking points that I want to talk about. And I would be afraid that someone would have a a dry take on it or or something like something that wouldn't match the tone of the movie. Because I think if Nick and I did anything, I think that we made a podcast that at feels like it's made for the movies that we're talking about. Um I, I think that the tone of the show matched the the movies um for the most part. I think occasionally, especially in the alternate 1985 stuff, uh it got pretty dark um there for a while but uh but i i you know i'm really proud of the work that we did on that show and i i think it just came down to like when i found out that the star wars minute guys were up for other people doing it i had already been dreaming of doing a back to the future minute but then i was like i can't just rip off star wars minute i you know i can't do that and then when they were like yeah no you can totally rip us off i immediately sent them like i was listening to the podcast where they said that and I paused it, went over to my Gmail, and shot them an email. I want to do Back to the Future Minute, uh, and they sent back some stipulations, and I was I was in. And then I immediately got the Twitter handle and sent away to Kevin Ziegler, our my artist friend, for the artwork for the podcast and all of these things. And then sent Nick the 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 text and was like, Hey would you want to do this? Because I really want to do this and I don't know anyone else who would be crazy enough to do this with me. So, <laughs> so yeah. you were, you were and, more and, the bigger yeah. fan of the series. Is that, would that be safe to say or no? You know, I, I, he wouldn't say it. So I will like, absolutely. I, I would, I would be, I would feel weird saying that I'm as much of a fan of back to the future as Scott, just because I've come to it. Back to the future was sort of a, something that I came to really love when I was a teenager. Um, it wasn't something that I, I, I was aware of it and I had seen them on HBO, but I remember when I was like 13, 14 watching back to the future and being like, Oh wait, this is perfect. This is like everything I kind of want to do with movies. Cause it's big and it's about emote. It's about emotions more than plot. And it's also like, universal and I, I just think that's so interesting that it's uh this big movie that everyone knows and you don't have to be a nerd to like it you don't have to be a smart person to like it you can be anyone and like back to the future and yet it's so smart and and that, that's always been really interesting to me and but yeah yeah i i i i've become a bigger fan coming out of the show because now i have an emotional attack i didn't really have before Doc and marty feel like characters that belong to me now the way that like Han Solo does or the way like Indiana Jones does. No, I understand that. I understand that completely. And, you know, um, I think, I think, you know, I, I'm the same way. I, I was a massive fan of the Back to the Future podcast. I mean, Back to the Future trilogy my, you know, whole mm -hmm. life. But, you know, once you start doing the show, when you get involved in anything, you start appreciating different aspects that you didn't realize were there. When you start looking at it and being analytical of it. And I think that does endear you to the to the story, to the characters more. Now, I've always wondered this because Back to the Future. There's a there's a documentary that's all about Back to the Future on Netflix. Back in time, Jason Aaron, who's been on this show before, directed it. Um, in that in that, someone says Back to the Future is a perfect movie. And Scott, I'll start with you. Do you agree that Back to the Future 
is a perfect movie? The the first one? The absolutely, first one. 100%. Yeah, 100%. It's a perfect movie. How is that? You Well, because you can just – you can – I mean, you can bounce a dime off that movie. Like there isn't, there isn't a plot thread in that movie that isn't tied up perfectly. Like every setup gets a payoff. There's, there's no, there's just no fat on that, on, on that, you know, piece of meat. Like there's just nothing like it's, it is, it is just a absolute perfect, perfect movie. There's, 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 I, I like, I don't even know how to describe it. It's just so, it's so lean. The characters have great arcs. Like it's, it's the, the plot is good. The stakes are great. Like everything, everything about it, the music is perfect. It is full, full. Like, I mean, like just spilling over with iconic moments. I mean, it's just, it's an absolute top to bottom, perfect movie. Nick. Yeah, you know, it's, you know, it, it, it's just so, as a writer, it's a difficult movie to the top. And I think that's why when you talk to filmmakers, it tends to be in their top, like, five or four, you know, like Edgar Wright and direct, if you, if you know how difficult it can be to design a story and tell a story effectively and tell a movie that isn't just all fat and useless stuff, you, 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 it, it's like, it's like, when other music, you know, was Salieri, you know, listening to Mozart and Amadeus, like, you're just like, what, how does he do it? And, you know, I, I, I could never convince someone that their favorite about their favorite movie, you know, because yeah, like back to the future cannot be everyone's favorite movie. And yeah, yeah, there are some things, I guess if you want to take out of the equation of it being designed perfectly, like, yeah, I guess it doesn't pass the Bechdel test and that kind of sucks. But, but I, in terms of how it's designed and how it's written and how it accomplishes uh, telling a story, I, yeah, it, it, it's definitely. I don't think Scott and I have worked on a script that has an organically brought up Back to the Future, like in terms of trying to get more inspiration out of it. Mm-hmm. No, yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm on the side of it. It's a perfect movie, you know. Even though, I think the one thing people point out, I want to get your analysis of this. The one thing people point out is it maybe not being perfect is that there's no character arc for Marty McFly. You know, people argue that he hasn't learned anything. Although I think you mm-hmm. might be able to make that argument that he did learn something. I don't know. He learned about time travel. Um, but uh, what do you what do you think? What do you think, Scott? Do you think that that's a uh, a fair criticism that there was no story arc for Marty? So therefore, it, you know, the, the your protagonist didn't evolve in any kind of way. So that kind of prohibits it from being perfect. Uh I I understand people's criticism of that, um, and it's certainly not a choice that I would do. I I would argue that he does have an arc. It's just a really, it's just a really Weak. small one. Yeah, it's just, it, it, it's yeah. it's just kind of you know when you look at a movie like, or just you know if you look at a story like A Christmas Carol, that which is another one of my favorite stories and also has time travel like. Ebenezer Scrooge is a completely different man from the beginning and ending of that story in very broad, defined, big ways. And Marty McFly, and I say this with all the love in my heart, isn't like, isn't Hamlet. He he isn't even like Harry Potter or he's just kind of like a dumb kid. And, and, and (laughs) I, I, 
I really love that about him. And, but, and so, yeah, so I, to those people, I would say like, yeah, absolutely. Marty doesn't have like, you know, the arc that like okay, Ralph does or, uh, you know, but I, I liken him more to a character like Ferris Bueller or mm-hmm. Cher Horowitz. We even Cher Horowitz learned some lessons at the end, but there's this great uh, adage I think it was about Ferris Bueller. Like the world is changed by him. He doesn't change the world. Right. And Marty kind of is this avatar of you. And he, he, he kind of, you know, his favorite band is Huey Lewis in the news. Like he's, he's, he's kind of basic. I, well, what I, what I like though, what I think his arc in that movie is, um, is, is he's not, I mean, it's it's basically um, he accepts I, family. Yeah, I would argue that he's the most '80s character in cinema uh, because his entire arc is that there's nothing wrong with me. I'm going to change everyone else. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's true. Um, yeah, that that's that's what his thing is. Is like he feels out of place at the beginning of that. He's like, I don't understand my family, and then when you know he meets his new family at the end of the movie, he's like, oh, okay, now now this I can get into, um, and that's I I fix them. Yeah, I fix them. Like uh, now now my life is what I wanted it to be. Like it it really is. Marty's not happy with his life, and he ends the movie happy with his life. That is a very small, very selfish <laughs> character arc, but that's what makes him the perfect '80s character because that was, you know, that was the '80s yeah. in a nutshell. And, and we've had a lot of fun towards the end of the podcast poking fun at what the movie's definition of like better is. It's yeah, it's it's yes, yes. Lorraine and and George are genuinely happy and genuinely in love, but the fact that the movie seems to imply that it's that happiness is intrinsically linked with monetary success and like, you know, career success is, it's just so not what we're being told right now in 2017, you know, in the age of like, love yourself and like avocado toast and shit. It's just, it's, 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 it's as an age poorly, it's just age very weird. Right. Well, yeah, yeah. You know, I agree with that. And then at the same at the same aspect, you could also argue that the you know them being financially more secure and stable and having you know being more wealthy and and more healthy could just be a byproduct of George. You know, a, a happy you know a happy accident in a sense. It's just a byproduct of sure. George standing up for himself, becoming a man at an early yeah, age, and, and, learning and, not, how and to, not not settling and not settling for a mundane life or a, or an unhappy life. Yeah, exactly. I mean, so you can right. argue that it's it, you know that although I see the superficiality of it and why people make yes. that argument, at the same time, it's still I just think it's a byproduct of what of what George's character arc was. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, but yeah. So so I mean, but aside from that, so when when you started though the podcast to go back to it now, you you're going through minute by minute, and sometimes. You know, you have that great opening scene, which has a lot of detail, and you can go through it a lot. You know, I mean, there's a lot to pick apart. You know, there's the safety last references, you know, to, to, to the actor Lloyd and, and all that stuff. But when, there are a few minutes in Back to the Future and, and definitely in the sequels where there's not a lot going on, right? I mean, it's mm-hmm. just literally a scene of, 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 you know, I don't even know, just not a lot going on. You know, even if it's sure. a Marty skateboarding through Hill Valley. You know, in the, in the beginning, there's just not a lot of meat on that bone. So, how did y'all 
figure out how to get I me mean, because every episode was at least a half hour or more. And so how would y'all pick apart, you know, one minute that of, of something that's not really not a lot of meat on the bone and, and, and bring it to a half hour episode where it's a full analysis of this? How were y'all able to do that? Uh, I mean, I, I, I can't tell you, I, I, I honestly, um, uh, I, you know, Nick, Nick obviously comes from an improv background, so that, that certainly helps, but, um, I don't know. We're just, I, I, it, uh, it, feels, like, it feels like we kind of just got it right away. And we're just like, even in the drier stuff, we would find things to just like, you know, send us down a trajectory of discussion about these characters. And like, I wonder what they were doing before this, or how did they get from here to here and what happened between there? And, um, I don't know, like we always, we always found something. Uh, and I don't, I don't, I can't tell you what the magic sauce is. I just know that I never worried. Like even when my notes were only like, even if I only had two or three notes going into a minute, I knew we would get at least 20 minutes out of it every time. I, I never worried. I, yeah. You know, in some ways it's kind of the, it's the job that I've been preparing for my whole life, which is like my comfort zone is hanging out with my friends, whether we're watching something or at a diner or in a car and just talking and and you know i i really am a, a, a child of, of kevin smith uh not literally than that that i know of but like i've <laughs> y- you know we're all kind of aware of the beauty of conversation i mean that, that's why we listen to podcasts is uh, i mean you know to go back to the very beginning that that superman returns podcast that that scott was talking about i that was the first one of his i listened to and i just remember thinking like oh i wish this was a guy that i had like with me to talk to in the cafeteria. And I think on a deep level, that's kind of, that, that's a beauty of what podcasts can be, particularly to people that are not living in super geek friendly parts of the world or the country. You know, you, I, I mean, I was that person that would listen to podcasts in the cafeteria when I was in high school and I hadn't found my tribe yet, you know? So Talking is, is, is you know, it's what Scott said about there not being any fear, I think is, is very true. I was never worried about, about it. Uh, to clarify something Nick just said, <laughs> uh, when he said uh, the Superman Returns podcast I was talking about earlier, he's actually referencing something we said in another recording that we did earlier today. Oh, God damn it. <laughs> I was like, what Superman Returns podcast? Well, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, no, no, no. You, you said the, you said uh, you said when you oh that that's right yeah when you were doing Superman returns you were like oh yeah it's fine yeah that was um, <laughs> that was, that was I, don't even know why, yeah. I don't even know why I'm saying her name uh, that's not for anyone but you and me uh, <laughs> but, yeah, but yeah but like I, I guess I just um, we just always because Scott's so analytical and I'm you know yeah I do have that improvisation background and I, I think that that cocktail just really lent itself to the, the, the quote drier moments. No, definitely. Well, Hey, this is Scott Corelli and Nick Jimenez from back to the future minute. More with them back in a second.